Welcome to Anesthesia Deconstructed. Science, politics, realities. Listen in as medical professionals join industry experts, Dr. Mike McKinnon and Dr. Joseph Rodriguez to discuss the latest science and medical advancements, the effects of our political climate, and the reality of today's changing healthcare environment. Let's get started with your hosts, Dr. Mike McKinnon and Dr. Joseph Rodriguez. Hello, everybody, and I just wanted to uh, welcome you to the podcast. We have Joe Rodriguez on the podcast. He's the owner of AZAS and also a very involved member in the American Association of Nurse Anesthesiology and our state association. We're here to talk about the topic nurse anesthesiologist, which has become an interesting topic. Non-controversial. Non-controversial. There's no controversy at all. (laughs) No one's ever had a strong opinion about it ever. There's been no strong opinion. So, Joe, let me ask you first. you know, where did this come from? I mean, I know we've both been a part of this movement, but where, from your perspective, where did this all come from? Where, what's the origination? Sure. So there's really two ways or two ways to think about where this came from, right? The first is on the CRNA side, there has been this perpetual and deeply felt feeling of being misunderstood chronically, right? And that comes, obviously, when you're, if your title is nurse anesthetist, and it's difficult to say, and it's difficult to understand, and that perpetuates over decades, that creates a problem, right? So that's part one. And then the other part is the professional nomenclature world, right? Which is all, all professions, especially in healthcare, and especially in anesthesia, have been updating the w- way people talk about their profession. We can get into that. And we were basically part of that movement. We saw other people doing things, and we wanted to make sure we are positioned in the right way so when there's this box of professionals, you know, or I should say professionals and assistants, right, people who can offer a full range of services versus people who can only offer services as part of someone else's service, right, we want to make sure, and it's, you know, this is obviously in line with what every think tank in the country uh, recommends for healthcare and what patient advocate groups recommend, which is that CRNAs can make their full professional value, their full contribution to patient care. And, you know, of course, that doesn't have to come at the cost of anyone else because there's plenty of work to go around. So right. that's, th- those are the two main pieces, yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think, I think what you're referring to is what's colloquial call, colloquially called APRN should be working to their fullest scope of practice to provide the most value in the system. Um, Correct. Top of licensure, right? Top of licensure is another, that's the buzzword. And so I think let's, let's target in first on, um, you know, the origination. I mean, as we both know, Webster's dictionary actually has nurse anesthesiologist defined as a, uh, another term or associated term with nurse anesthetist, the original title, meaning the same thing, basically uh, a nurse who is an expert in the field of anesthesiology. And originally, uh, this came up in 1953, uh, per the reference on Webster's, which we, I don't think we ever actually had. And, um, so it's not new. It's certainly not a new idea. And it's come up since then at a board meeting. Was it in the eighties? I think eighties or nineties. 1986. Yeah, 1986, where there were other CRNAs who also wanted to change the term. And at that time, it didn't pass. But unfortunately, they were not able to present their case, as I believe most of them were away in military for military reasons or the primary uh, guy was. So here, fast forward. And all of a sudden, one of the things that we have seen happen is anesthesiologist assistants, certified anesthesiologist assistants, uh, utilizing the term anesthetist. And now, you know, their argument for that, I think, 
I think isn't unreasonable. Um, you know, Medicare calls CRNAs and AAs non-physician anesthetists. So, you know, we're non-physician anesthetists. And so from that perspective, they feel that they're justified in using the term anesthetist. Now, and an awful lot of people got really upset about that. And they got upset about it because they felt like, look, we're not the same. Just as you lined out at the beginning of this discussion, we provide a full service and their job is in an assistance to another provider to provide the service. In this right. case, a physician anesthesiologist, and they provide it as a dependent provider and anesthesiologist assistance. I don't think anyone would argue that assistant is right in their title. So um, they 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 decide to use this word anesthetist, uh, and, and I'm sure there's they have other reasons as well. Uh, potentially, maybe political uh, to blur no. the lines. I know. No, come on, <laughs> say it ain't so. To blur the lines. Anesthesia between, has politics. Come on. I know it's crazy no. talk. I don't know. I don't know what you mean. You could, you, you know, you can see how they might want to blur the lines that anesthetists are all the same, so we're all anesthetists. So, right, and that's just not true. I mean, the services offered have overlap, but they're not the same. And so, the, and the opportunity to provide service is not the same. CRNAs can work independently. That's that's part and parcel. I mean, if you go to the if you go to anesthetist.org right now, right, they will say we offer a service as part of a model that is promoted by a trade organization. The anesthesia care team, right, where you have these restrictions, and we know that from research that that model doesn't work real well. Let me comment on uh, what you said as far as is anesthetist true, because I think I agree with you that when their new anesthetist campaign came out, that is what set the CRNA community kind of on fire, right? Because that anesthetist is what a lot of people held to as, hey, that's what makes me different. Yes, I'm a nurse. I'm very proud to be a nurse, but I'm also an anesthetist. I have this level of expertise, and I. I think that worked for a long time. But I have this letter from Dr. Seifert, February 7th, 1938. And he wrote to Paul Wood, who's a famous uh, anesthesiologist, who was then the head or the secretary of the American Society of Anesthetists in 1938. But that referred to physicians at the time. right? So he writes and he says, Dr. Wood, and this is all about your point about how they actually have a pretty good claim on this word anesthetist. He says, hey, Dr. Wood, while teaching at the University of Illinois, I coined the word anesthesiology and defined it as follows. The science um, that treats of the means and methods of producing various degrees of insensibility to, uh, to pain. Right? And he says an anesthetist is a technician and an anesthesiologist is a scientific authority on anesthesia and anesthetics. I can understand why you do not use the term American Society of Anesthesiologists. Right? So they were prodded along by Dr. Skeeper and they changed. Right? And I think, you know, again, getting back to what you were saying about this model. Right. Over time, we, that there was a divergence. Right. And now we have dentist anesthesiologists and veterinary anesthesiologists. And even over the pond, uh, Ireland and New Zealand, they're anesthetists, but they're changing to anesthesiologists. So we see this trend of everyone who is an expert and offers full service using this term ologist, which, again, fits into the rest of American society or Western society. And like Dr. Seifert said, all the way back in 1938, that is a technical application of skills. That's what being an anesthetist is. So I think you're right. They, they do have a pretty good claim on it. But I also think anesthesiologist, as you and I both well know, is, is a neutral term, right? There's all sorts of different professions that can have that term anesthesiologist or epidemiologist or there's all, you know, there's other precedents. Psychologist. For, yeah. And there's psychologist as a term in New Hampshire. And even like, you know, there's things we don't think about. Like we use profession and specialty all the time. When the one that was pointed out to me, which I didn't, never even thought of, was look, we have ER docs. 
we are docs, right? We are nurses. We have ICU docs and we have ICU nurses. And when it comes to anesthesiology, it just makes a lot of sense. You have physician anesthesiologists, you have nurse anesthesiologists. Of course, the ASA is, you know, they're very upset about this um, because they, they feel like, you know, they're, we're, this term is being stolen. But it was, they're the ones who set the precedent, right? And they also did the research that, that they shared with their members to classify us as only nurses, which we, of course, know is accurate, but is a mischaracterization. It doesn't really describe the service that we're offering. You know, just like you're not going to call a nurse executive who's a CEO of a hospital just a nurse, right? Because that's not accurate. And even that term, just a nurse, is somewhat demeaning, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, well, you're, you don't really know what you're talking about, right? There's all sorts of different professional nurses. We all have different specialties. Right. And, so anyway, that... Yeah. So that's entomology, right? Basic, straight up entomology of the word. And I think the key there, too, is that, you know, the argument against this, we have this in nursing. We call nurses LPNs. They're called nurses. We call lay midwives um, midwives, but there's also certified midwives, but there's also mm-hmm. nurse midwives. All three have the word midwife because of what they do. The base word, the descriptor is midwifery, mm-hmm. right? Yet there are nurse midwives that are APRN. There are certified midwives that take a test and there are lay midwives that never have done anything but learned on the job. Exactly. Right? There's this, no profession there. There's no profession there. Right. right. And, 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 and you define that by the initial term. That's no different than, as you said, ER nurse, ICU nurse, you know, wound care nurse, critical care nurse, all those things like critical care physician. This already exists. And the ASA actually recognized that when they did a study in 2013 and found out that 67% or so of people did not associate the word anesthesiologist with a physician. And so they went ahead and advanced their title to physician anesthesiologists, and even today use that in all of their um, PR campaigns because they, they double down. They double down. They recognize that anesthesiologist doesn't mean physician, and it doesn't. Right. And so, you know, I don't think it's appropriate for any one group to use the word anesthesiologist without a descriptor in front of it. In fact, so that's you right. Know, and the reason why is because now I don't know what kind of anesthesiologist you are. Are you a vet anesthesiologist that's here doing my anesthesia in the hospital? Unlikely. <laughs> are you a dentist <laughs> anesthesiologist? Are you a nurse anesthesiologist? Or are you a physician anesthesiologist? And in the interest of transparency, we should always put descriptors in front of that term. Right. And transparency is a good segue because a lot of people say, well, look, uh, I- I'm just Joe from anesthesia, right? No. And I, your patient could think you're a physician there. Right. And that's not that's not good. That's misrepresenting yourself. And that's one of the criticisms of this movement, right? Is say, hey, well, you guys are trying to represent yourself as physicians. No, that's not what's happening. Right. That may be what's happening now when I walk up and say, hey, I'm Joe Rodriguez from Anesthesia. And you don't know if they think you're a physician or not, right. right? It's very, very, very important that the public knows, that patients know that you are, that a CRNA is a member of the nursing profession, part one. Right. And part two is that you have an obligation to deliver expert level care to them. Right. If you can't do that, you shouldn't be there. And that's what this is really about clarity. And I think, you know, we we mentioned the ASA a few times and I want to it's important to mention that even while the ASA as a trade organization, they need to do what they need to do. That's fine. um, Many individual physician, physician anesthesiologists don't care about this. Right. In fact, I've, I've had some remarks that me say, oh, that, that's a lot easier than nurse anesthetist. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, because there's not this 
you know, look, there's overlap between these professions, and anytime you have overlap in professions, you're going to have a measure of competition, even between CRNAs, right? Even oh, sure. between CRNA groups. Sure. But at the end of the day, it's like this is about clarity. This is about making sure that we know or people know who CRNAs are and who physicians are too, and dentists too. And there's a big presence of dentists and anesthesiologists in the West. So um, it, that's, it's just really about clarity more than anything else. Yeah, I think so too. I think, I think one of the uh, you know the biggest arguments that I see today coming specifically from the ASA is you know that using the term nurse anesthesiologist is going to confuse patients, which is interesting because in my twelve almost what heading into my thirteenth year, whatever it's been career, I've literally been the anesthesiologist. No matter how many times I said nurse anesthetist, or maybe they've said esthetician, which clearly is not what I do uh, right. because they can't pronounce Although, the word. But the term, you'd make a great esthetician. I'm oh yeah, I, I'm I'd be good at nails. But the uh, the the term anesthesiologist is such a pervasive, generalized term in our culture that they just assume anyone who performs anesthesia is an anesthesiologist. Not that they're a physician, but they're an anesthesiologist, a person who's an right. expert in anesthesia. And so, you know... Well, and that was part of the ASA's research, right? Is that, that when a patient says, yeah. who's my doctor, they thought of their surgeon. right? Yeah. And that's why they wanted to make sure that people knew that they were... And I get it. I, I, hey, I understand the desire to be understood, and I, I think that's pretty reasonable. What I don't think is reasonable from the ASA is this constant anti-competitive guild protection approach that they have when it comes to CRNAs. And that's, I, that's where the, that's what the ultimate tension is really about. And I think both you and I have done a good job of saying, Hey, um, and others, not just us, this isn't about being anti anyone or closing off anyone's opportunities. This is about making sure in markets, People have fair competition, that patients get great care and great outcomes. And, you know, and know like who's you giving say, it to them. Know who's giving yeah, it to ex- them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's it. Because most practitioners are pretty good. And, you know, most people are safe, right? Most people are confident and reasonable, right? And that competition exists as, as far as how you manage it, right? How well you're treating your people. Well, that's where the competition is. And, and that's where it should exist. It shouldn't exist because Mike McKinnon got a CRNA certification. Therefore, he is automatically limited from providing the services that he has a 13-year history of performing. And that's ultimately the, the position. Of, I, that's how I would characterize the position right. of that organization. And that's, that's what's really bad, I think. But what's, yeah. and the ASA would probably be shocked that we're saying this. But what's really good is that, hey, there's clarity in who is providing and the different types of professionals. And if they want to say... You know, the CRNAs are, are nurses. They, you know, they may be doing anesthesia, but they're not. Well, that's true, right? But let's be accurate with our words and accurate in how we're describing things. Right. And I think, I mean, I think if from a common understanding perspective, you know, if you, if you sat in front of people and said, I'm a nurse anesthesiologist and someone sat next to you and said, I'm a physician anesthesiologist, there's really no confusion there. You know, okay, so you're both people who do anesthesia, but you're a nurse and you're a physician. That's correct. Why is that so simple? Because you put the correct terminology in front of the dis- the descriptor, right? And so, I-, I think that's very simple for people to understand. So, from my perspective, it's it's disingenuous for the ASA to suggest that there's some sort of attempt to pretend you're a physician when you literally put nurse right in the word. And the reason why it becomes really disingenuous is when they totally accept the term anesthesiologist assistant which has anesthesiologist right in the title, but somehow that's okay. And that suggests that our detractors, the ASA in this particular case, 
think that somehow patients must be totally earblind to the word assistant, but hear or totally earblind to the word nurse, but hear the word assistant every time with assistant anesthesiologist assistant. And that's just not true, right? It's either both or neither. So either everyone hears nurse anesthesiologist and anesthesiologist assistant and recognizes it, or no matter what you say, if you were use the word anesthesiologist, they don't hear the other word. Right. And that's not what the ASA study showed. It's not what the study that was then done afterward by our organization showed. They showed the patients clearly knew that if you put nurse in front of an anesthesiologist, it was a nurse. And so to me, that that seems very straightforward and simple. I think it's the opposite of trying to confuse people and more in line with trying to make it clear who people are in the room. And and that's 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 Regardless of whether there's an anesthesia care team or an independent practice of CRNAs or some collaborative model, the bottom line is I think it provides the kind of clarity that they weren't getting before with nurse anesthetist when all they heard was anesthetist and couldn't figure out what that meant, or when they have an anesthesiologist assistant that also calls himself anesthetist. I mean, that word's not even in their title, but they use it. So now you've got more confusion by having all these things, an anesthesiologist that's clearly across multiple specialties without using physician or nurse or dentist or vet in front of it is confusing. And so from my perspective, this only provides more clarity and gives credit where credit is due for whoever's doing the anesthetic, whether that be uh, anesthesiologist assistant, a physician anesthesiologist, or a nurse anesthesiologist, or a dentist anesthesiologist. You know what drives me crazy about this debate that between uh, the ASA and the ANA, we've been a part of, it, of course, but it's that, you know, the, the ASA basically has this position and I don't think they would disagree with this characterization that only they are in charge or own this specialty. Right. And it, it, it's just like, uh, and that creates obvious tension. Right. Whereas I think our position, not the ANA, we're, we don't speak for the ANA, obviously, but I think our position as always, and I do think it's reflective amongst the majority of people. It's like, look, we're not saying that you cannot do these things. We're not trying to limit you in any way, shape, or form. But what we are saying is that we should be able to provide the full value to our patients. That's what is good for society, right? And do you, do you remember Dave Vertulo? Yep. So for the audience, Dave Vertulo is one of the most brilliant physicians that I think Mike and I have ever known. He was a former board examiner for the, um, the American Board of Anesthesiology. Is cardiovascular anesthesiologist. And he, we had such a great model. Mike and I both worked at that practice at one point. We had such a great model. And that was real interprofessional collaboration. It was. Right? When, but, and when you look at the literature around interprofessional collaboration, respecting boundaries is one of the key pieces. And it's kind of counterintuitive, right? Because to, res- to have real collaboration, you have to respect a certain boundary, right? And I think it's our, our general approach. That's where this term, to some degree, is rooted in, is to say, look, we're not trying to say we're physicians. We're not trying to take all your market share and take all your money and eliminate you from the world, right? Which is kind of the fear mongering you see in some of the, the posts, right? That's not what we're trying to do. What we are trying to do, again, is make our full contribution to, to American society to take care of as many people as we can with the best outcomes that are possible, right? And, and collaborate as well, but not at the expense of, hey, you're going to control everything. And oh, yeah you're also going to get a huge economic benefit and you're never going to talk about it, right? It's like, let's just be honest, well, right? right? And I think 
I think you and I both have, uh, you, I think you at a personal level more just because of geography, right? But I've had a number of truly interprofessional relationships with physician anesthesiologists, and it's great. And, and, and we don't talk about all this stuff very much. I mean, they're aware of it, right? But it's more about like what solves the problem. And we don't solve problems by limiting people. And we don't solve problems by getting research to figure out how we can minimize you and make you seem less essential to everyone. Right. right. Which is what came out in that ASA research on roles. And I think that this is going a little bit further. But why not? It's, you know, the, the common uh, criticism then becomes, well, hey, why are you why are you guys killing AA bills around the country? Right. And you, you're the one who really I don't know if you thought of it before or it was the spur of the moment. But you came up with the what I'll say principled response to that. Right. So if, if I'm an. AA, right? If I'm a president of the AA association, say, you guys are just as anti-competitive as physicians because you guys have never let us in your state. And that's why all this is going on. You're perpetuating the problem. What do you right. say? Well, I mean, my response to that is that by nature, their entry into the state doesn't solve the problems. They're anti-competitive, right? I mean, the, the very nature of, of bringing in an assistant that one provider gets to use four of and can expand their care while the other competitor is not allowed to use that all by some federal government rule is in its very nature anti-competitive. So that's not fair competition. And it doesn't expand access. The problem isn't in inner city Phoenix or inner city San Francisco. The problem is in indigenous you know, areas, in areas with low poor payer mix in rural areas where CRNAs proliferate and the physicians aren't going to go there generally. And even if they, and if they don't, the AAs can't go there. So the bottom line is I have no problem with AAs coming into a state, but I should also be able to utilize them as an assistant to expand access to care in a cost-effective manner. I mean, CRNAs are cost-effective over every other model, but if CRNAs could also manage for AAs, then maybe we could add more cost effectiveness, more expansion of access. Cause I'm already rural. You know what I mean? And so right. for me, you know, like it's not personal. I've met a couple of AAs. I've nothing negative to say about them. They are just people who want to have a job. I get it. And I've certainly not, don't think anything personal about them, but the truth of the matter is the very nature of the setup with medical direction and us not being able to have AAs as people we can also supervise and get, and get billed for and bill for is anti-competitive right. and it doesn't solve any problems it only creates cost so there's no benefit there and we see that we see that in markets we see that in certain states certain hospitals where if you only have that medical direction model now look if a hospital wants to you know pay two or three or four million dollars in subsidy to support that model that is their prerogative that's that's control at the local level sure. they're the local experts and they should be allowed to do that. By Spend their money any right? way they want. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And that's fine. But we shouldn't do that at the regulatory level. Right. And that's the distinction, right? That's what's often lost in these debates. Well, we can't let Arizona opt out. It's like, look, we're changing the regulation. We're not forcing change down at the local level. Right. And I think what you just said in, in regard to like, you know, when, when you, uh, it was like 2018, I think when you first said that, um, and it was funny, you were, people don't know, but you were talking to a free market advocate, right? Who right. is a representative of a local free market think tank who has kind of national implications and they do a lot of legal work called the Goldwater Institute. And he got up there and basically said, look, I'm not really interested. Look, I'm at the CRNA conference, but I'm not really interested in limiting anyone. So if these anesthesia assistants can come in and provide a good service, then I'm all for it. And the crowd kind of went, oh, you know, they were 
you know, they were deflated. Right. And then you and him went back and forth. And again, I haven't really told anybody this, but I was kind of like, that was, that was my leadership style at the point. Like at that point, I was kind of like, let's just get good people in the room and see what happens. And thankfully it worked out. Uh, but I had no, no idea that it was going to happen, but you went back and forth with him with that exact, um, framework, right? Where you have two different professionals. One is going to get this assistant to expand their practice. And we know that when that market, when that model takes over in a market, costs rise, mm-hmm. right? So why would we do that to lower cost? That's not competition. That's market control. And he was like, okay, I see your point, right? And then you said, well, if you really want to fix it in reality, I should be able to be supervised and get reimbursed for those services. And then you just let it be controlled at the market level, right? And again, I like this hear and know both sides. because the, So the criticism then is, well, the market shouldn't be determining this, right? The market isn't a good... They don't know anything about medical care. Why would we let the market, the same dynamic that controls how much you pay for gas and cereal, figure out what that type of anesthesia you have? But that's a mischaracterization, right? right? The market is determined by the same people who give you your authority to practice, which is a hospital credentialing committee, right? Which is 99%, I mean, in as far as 100% of the time as I know, that's all medical doctors, right? right? Um, And we know anybody who's been in this business long, there's other, you know, they did same thing for diatrists and same thing the DOs. I had just, you know, five, 10 years ago, I had a friend who couldn't get credentials at a hospital because they still didn't credential DOs. It was, it was wild. Uh, of course, they, they changed it, of course, but it was just they hadn't run into it. Um, but that, that's an important thing for people to realize in this whole nomenclature debate, right? There is one side which is generally, hey, we're trying to control things control and that's them. not helping solve exact. That's not helping solve the problem. And I have and it's Our not new. I think, I think that right. it's important to recognize this is not new. The AMA has done the same thing with the term mid-level provider, right? So what does that mean? That means RNs are low-level providers. Oh, so you don't want one of them. And the mid-level hmm. provider, oh, maybe that's okay for some things. But what you really want is high-level provider. And that's, that's basic 101 psychological warfare, right? What you're doing is putting in the minds of the people who don't know anything about this, that this person's sort of good, but not as good as the really good person. Right. So who, who do you really want? And if you're going to have to have someone sort of good, you better have the really good person watching everything they do. Right. I mean, Mike, I'm very skeptical. I know the, the, the ASA is not a, I mean the ANA and the ASA, those are not political organizations. Right? Come on. I think not all for patient safety. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, this like is like not, that one guy on Twitter. Like the, remember that guy, I don't want to name his name. That would be inappropriate. But, um, oh, yeah. you know, he says, I, I'm, you know, he like criticizes the, the ANA because I, I I don't want politics. I want patient care. And then I, you know, just did a, did this really in-depth thing called a Google search. Yeah. And I, I just found the number one uh, political organization when it comes to organized medicine. And that was the ASA. American Society of Anesthesiologists, <laughs> right. right? Which he is a prominent member of. And it's like, guys, we live in this era where things are known now, right? You right. cannot hide the, like, so when people, so, I mean, unless you're under legal binding, like a non-disclosure agreement or something, right? Those things are still not known. Nobody talks about those things. But generally, like, if you're trying to pull the wool over someone's eyes, someone on the internet is going to call you out. And that just explodes. So it's just better to be honest. And it is. And upfront I, about it. And look, look, I don't understand. I've never quite understood the motivation to be against nurse anesthesiologists. Stop trying to define other people, man. Like, you know, just define yourselves. And you did that. And you did a good job at it. I think physician anesthesiologist was the right thing to do because it lets people know that they're physicians. I like the idea. I have no problem saying it. I wouldn't think twice about it. And I think they should use it. But 
don't turn around and then tell me that I should be said this because you said so. We are not, paternalistic medicine is gone. And there's no, there's no place for one group trying to define another. We define ourselves, you define yourselves, and we can compete in the market. And now you've created a term that tells people what you perceive is your value-added service, that you're a physician. And let's see in the marketplace if they believe in the marketplace being hospitals, facilities, centers, uh, ASCs, if they believe that that's worth paying extra money for. And if they do, great. There's nothing wrong with that. If they don't, that's the market, right? Because the outcomes are Six Sigma safe regardless of who does the anesthetic, a CRNA or a physician, whether they're involved together or separate. Everybody's good at this that's doing it, you know? And so the outcomes are very good. And, and the, bo- the bottom line is, the bottom line is don't define, don't try to define another group. I'm not trying to take away, uh, anesthesiologist assistants ability to use the word anesthetist. They decided to usurp that term and they had every right to, because it's not protected. What we're trying to do and the, and our group is trying to do is separate ourselves from people who are assistants, dependent providers. And put us, ourselves in the correct place, which is the people who provide anesthesia independently, which is what CRNAs can do and are trained to do, regardless of what model they happen to work in. And I think that's key, right? You want to send the right message to patients so accurate information is taken in. So, Mike, we've, I think we've accurately characterized the overall, the, both the overarching dynamic as well as some of the specifics about you know, the nomenclature, dentist, anesthesiologist, nurse, anesthesiologist, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. There's two points I think are, that your audience should be aware of. And I think you tried to trademark, right? I did. The term nurse anesthesiologist. Right. And it didn't, it didn't work. Do you want to, do you want to describe why it didn't work? Yeah. So, I mean, the entire reason I wanted to try to trademark this was to, was to, sh- to see whether it was actually true that the term anesthesiologist was too general to be trademarked and that nurse anesthesiologist was more specific and what, how that would work out. And what came back was, is that both the terms nurse and anesthesiologist are general terms in common language in the public. And neither one of those two terms can actually be trademarked and they cannot be protected. And so there's no way to trademark them. So no one owns the word anesthesiologist. There is no ownership of that word. Anyone in theory can use that word in common language. Obviously, if it is descriptive, if it's descriptive. right, if it's descriptive, if you're if you have expert level education and understanding, and you administer right. anesthetics, right? Then right, that's what it's and that's for what the, his name was John Wilkie. He was the the examining attorney for the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Right. He wrote back and said that term is merely descriptive. And for anybody out there who's tried to trademark things and tried to trademark a few other things, if it is not super specific to what you do, they will write back and say, it is merely descriptive. You right. cannot patent it. It cannot be only yours. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and, and the term nurse anesthesiologist as a greater term is merely descriptive. A nurse who performs anesthesia and is an exactly. expert in anesthesia. Uh, so, so too would be physician anesthesiologist. Um, the other piece is that, and so during this debate, um, a dentist reached out to our group and they said, hey, you know, it's kind of like this cryptic email. It's like, hey, you should check this out. Click here. And I, you know, I like Googled the guy to make sure he was actually a real person and he was. So I clicked there and we found out that dentists who were not recognized by their national body, right, who were a, an extreme minority 
in terms of actual anesthetics delivered, right? And I'm not talking about oral surgeons. I'm talking about dentists who separately administer the anesthetics, just like a physician or nurse anesthesiologist would. So they're not recognized by their national body. They have no, you know, they did like the first anesthetic back in the late 1800s, but they're an extreme minority in terms of who does anesthesia now. And they weren't recognized by their own state to do anesthesia, right? Or to be classified as an anesthesiologist. That group of people, along with a number of other dental specialists, they were told by the Dental State Board of Dental Examiners, hey, you've got to stop, right? And they sued them, and it went to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and that court determined that dentist anesthesiologist was protected by the First Amendment under commercial free speech because it was lawful activity and it was not misleading. So think about that, right? Dentists, extreme minority, not truly recognized as an anesthesiologist or a dentist anesthesiologist by their state, not recognized as a specialty from their national organization, right? They were found, it was okay. It was authorized. It was not misleading. So if they can use that, right, it stands to reason, like that neuroanesthesiologist makes a lot of sense and it is does. protected by the First Amendment, it's right? And it's the, yeah, for commercial free speech, it's literally the exact same argument. I mean, there's yep. and, and the difference is we have a stronger is, argument. Yeah, instead of being like stronger. what maybe five to ten thousand of them in the country, there's sixty some odd thousand of us providing more than fifty percent of the anesthetics nationally. So you know, a clear force in the marketplace. So from a commercial free speech perspective, it's even more important to protect the ability to utilize that term than it was for dentists anesthesiologists, who I also support. I think we kind of covered that topic and um, hopefully everybody got a better sense of what it is that the, the goal for nurse anesthesiologists was and, you know, and how it's moved forward and why it is where it is and it's proliferating across the country. Uh, I think the one last thing I want to touch on is what I'm seeing a lot of talk about, which is the New Hampshire uh, Supreme Court opinion that, you know, the ASA has suggested is a big win for them. So, Joe, right. as we both know, the you know New Hampshire Association of Nurse Anesthesiologists—they changed their name to that—you um, know utilizes the term nurse anesthesiologist, and you can actually choose that as your preferred title when you apply to be a nurse anesthesiologist or a CRNA there. And so, um, the Board of Medicine basically said that that this was either practicing medicine or or putting yourself out as a physician when you're not. It was not transparent. And turned around and said that, you know, they could come after these people. And as I understand it, the New Hampshire Association went all the way to the Supreme Court to say that, no, they should not be able to control what nurses call themselves. Bottom line, that they couldn't come after um, a nurse or a nurse anesthesiologist for using the term nurse anesthesiologist. And where did that go? So that went, let's see, to just to add some, I was thinking about some them clarity items. So the, the New Hampshire Board of Nursing, you were absolutely correct. You can add it on your license because the New Hampshire Board of Nursing um, said you can do it, right? And then the Board of Medicine basically said, no, you can't. As you were describing, it, I, I'm not familiar with the New Hampshire system, but eventually it ends up at the Supreme Court, right? So the pr- Supreme Court listens to both sides and they come out with a statement that essentially punts it back to the legislature. And they, you know, they basically said the Board of Medicine was not capricious and what was the, I, sh- I should have it right in front of me. Um, there's a legal phrase. It escapes me. Basically, they said the Board of Medicine has a right to weigh in on this, right? But they didn't agree with them. They said they're not being capricious about it. They are not overstepping their bounds. However, 
they did not say that the Board of Nursing was overstepping their bounds. And then they went on to say that this decision should be decided at the legislature's level. So I am not a legal expert by any means, but you can read the tea leaves there. And they essentially pushed the issue back to the legislature. So as it stands right now, you have conflicting statements from these different regulatory boards. And again, for the audience, this is not on you. This is there's precedent for this type of activity. You can go all the way back to Dagmar Nelson in 1938, right? When that nurse was sued for almost, it was very similar language, practicing medicine, holding herself out as a physician, right? So this is not new, right? Uh, This is what kind of CRNAs always get kind of accused of, so to speak. Um, But the fact of the matter is nurses in this country have a legal right to practice anesthesia. And when a nurse is practicing anesthesia, that is the practice of nursing. And it's been that way for over 100 years. So that's where it stands right now. The, the Board of Medicine and Board of Nursing currently in conflict. And there's some other things going on that are, which we can talk about on another podcast, but right. which are currently and, in developing. Yeah. And the bottom line is, no, it isn't wrong to use the term nurse anesthesiologist in New Hampshire. No, it isn't stopped from being done. No, you are not, uh, you're not violating the law by utilizing that. No, the Supreme Court did not say that you couldn't use it. Those are all not true. And those are things that are being put out there. What, what the bottom line is, is they were stalemated, which means that the same way it was before the day that that went to the Supreme Court is the same way it is today. The Board of Nursing ruling stands and the Board of Medicine ruling stands. If the Board of Medicine decided to go after a, a CRNA who used nurse anesthesiologist, there would be a court case that would then make the determination. Um, but ultimately, mm-hmm. nursing, Board of Nursing controls nursing and it's likely they would lose that case. So as we move forward, I think the best option is to just have a legislative fix. Indeed, I agree. So that's that's well, the last part that I wanted to cover for the nurse anesthesiologist thing. And I think our audience will get some more information out of this. They'll understand better and uh, have a sense of, you know, kind of where we're at. Hey, everyone. I want to add an addendum to this podcast due to a letter that was put out by the ASA president on August 23rd, 2021, where she stated that the term physician anesthesiologist was, quote, in response to CRNA's longstanding yet limited use of the term nurse anesthesiologist. Here's what I want you to know about that. I'm not sure quite where she got that information, but the term physician anesthesiologist actually originated with the ASA's own PR firm data, people that they hired in order to do this PR uh, and figure out why, why it was that when um, a patient referred to their quote-unquote physician, they always referred to their surgeon and did not associate the term anesthesiologist with physician. Those PR firms were PCI and uh, Rheingold. And that was in 2012, that data was done, and it came back in 2013. And that was where the term physician anesthesiologist was born from, where in that actual um, study and PR data from a survey, Uh, just about 60% of people did not associate the term anesthesiologist with physician. And so they came up with the term physician anesthesiologist to give physicians that are anesthesiologists that practice anesthesia the appropriate, um, you know, kudos for who they are. So the patients knew that this was a physician who practiced anesthesia, as opposed to, as we discussed in the podcast, a dentist who practiced anesthesia or a vet or uh, anesthesiologist assistant or a nurse anesthesiologist. Now, at that time, nurse anesthesiologist wasn't even a term that was thought of because the actual movement for the use of nurse anesthesiologist wasn't until 2017, 2018 year. Uh, and 
clearly those are not at the same time. So really we, you know, the, the term physician anesthesiologist could never have been in response to the term nurse anesthesiologist because it was not used, nor was it moved forward during that time at all. In fact, nurse anesthesiologist, as we mentioned in the podcast, was in response to anesthesiologist assistance using the term anesthetist, which the ASA supported. And it was in response to the fact that, you know, um, there's confusion about what we do with patients and anesthesiologist being a general term that means learned in or someone who studies anesthesiology was appropriate for us. So I want to add that I'm not entirely sure where she got this information, but it is absolutely incorrect. And, uh, you know, being part of the movement, Dr. Rodriguez and I clearly are aware that this didn't happen until long after that PR data. Thanks so much. Well, thank you everybody for listening. And thanks, this was Joe. Good. Yeah, this was really fun. Yeah, thanks, and, for, thanks uh, for having me on. We'll have another one. All right, till the all next right. time. That's all for this episode of Anesthesia Deconstructed. For more information based on today's discussions, be sure to visit us at anesthesia-deconstructed.com. You'll also gain access to our blogs, editorials, and more resources to keep you updated on the science, politics, and realities of today's medical industry. That's anesthesia-deconstructed.com.